Welcome to Fintech Insider Interviews. I'm Sam Mall, the managing partner for 11FS North America. In this episode, I'm speaking with Ron Herman, the CEO at Cyanic Mobile. Cyanic Mobile is an Atlanta cloud-based connected commerce company which reaches millions of consumers in their vehicles and through their favorite mobile apps. After that, I sat down with Michael Crawford, vice president and product owner for Fifth Third's new Momentum app. On to the interviews. So it's been fun because I've been reading about uh, the company itself. And man, I've got a million <laughs> questions for you. Uh, I don't think you'd be surprised by that. But if you don't mind, and, and we'll get back to some of the other work that you've done and some of the other companies that you sold. But if you could kind of give me the 30-second pitch, if you will, of your product and, and basically its fit in the marketplace. Sure. So um, we've, we've kind of evolved over the last seven years to the point where we're actually positioning ourselves as a connected commerce platform company. And what we technically do, and in layman's terms, is at the point of sale, we, we manage two transactions at the exact same time in parallel that are completely relevant. One is we do a mobile payment transaction. Um, typically, that'll go down the chase, uh, the chase rail. And then in parallel, we actually manage a loyalty currency transaction for that same payment and that, that can either be a redemption of a, of, um, a loyalty currency or um, additional rewards. So, or a combination of both, actually. So that's what we do for, for a living. We connect uh, consumers and merchants um, at the point of sale. So this is a brick and mortar play. And we, we enable the uh, transaction, the, the, we incent the consumer to use their app, their loyalty app that they have on their device already to pay with that app at the, the merchant's location and then um, you know, enjoy those added benefits of, of burning or earning more points. Yeah, it's funny. You know, if you went back, and, and I know you saw all this, you go back about three years, four years ago, you know, it was the, the battle to be the, the front of wallet on that phone, right? To be the, the digital wallet. And we had all, you know, we had Apple Pay, we had you know, Google Pay, Samsung Pay, you take your pick. And what I find funny is the, individual retailers and stores and merchants that seem to be winning this battle. You know, it's interesting. Yeah, I totally agree. I'm a bit embarrassed to admit this, but um, I recently learned that eight of the nine top apps um, in the app stores that most people download and use are owned by either Google or Facebook. And then, and I was just speaking at at this mag conference um, over the last couple of days. And my position to the, to the audience was, you know, the likelihood of any retailer and even wallets for that matter, getting space on the first screen is just unrealistic. So um, I think that's pretty true. Yes, yeah, it's, it's funny because what I do is I just, I'm too close to the industry. I've been doing this way too long. And, and I say this a lot to, you know, when, I, when I'm talking to bankers and when I talk to those in the payment space, we all are really way too close to the flame and we need to take a step back sometime and, and watch the individuals that, you know, the typical consumer. And their behavior because we don't count <laughs> so we don't count whatsoever yeah, we're not normal so i watch i, I love <laughs> my wife and how she shops right and you know right um for her like in a target to use a red card no one has to tell her to do that that's just a given and same when she goes to starbucks it's a given that she's going to use the starbucks app it's it's a given when she goes into kohl's that, that that's how she's going to engage you know it's just that that's her behavior and this is what I love about your guys' product. Can you talk about the, the when you you talked about brick and mortar, but you also have the the car aspect, the automotive aspect of this. Can you talk a little bit about how about that how, how that works? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we are one of three partners that GM is, is launching with for their connected car platform. 
and this is going to sound a bit odd, but it's been really a pleasure working with the team at GM. Granted, you know, they, they still at the end of the day are, you know, they've got three towers of lawyers and they happen to make cars and trucks, but they've got a really strong innovation team there. Um, and they actually are operating uh, basically as at the speed in which we are, which is, is kind of unheard of. So, you know, kudos to them for pulling this off. But what they basically built is um, they call it the IHU or the in-dash head unit. To us, it's the screens, obviously, the infotainment screens that we touch and play with and a- interact with the car. So what they are doing today is they're adding a marketplace feature inside the dashboard. And think of it as a marketplace of apps, but rather than having apps like the App Store, they have brands. And um, they kind of have this, there's either a, it's like a CPM model where you get screen presence based on what's happening with the vehicle. You know, if you're low on fuel, you'll see four different icons pop on the screen when you're down to like a, an eighth of a tank. And tapping any of those four fuel brands will give you navigation directions directly to the closest one, along with, you know, fuel prices for each one and just to give you everything you need to make a decision to fuel up your vehicle. Um, so things like that are, are the more intuitive that, that marry the information about where you are, your surroundings, the weather even, and even trends to a certain degree, trends and spending. And then that's all presented through the dash. And um, with, as you can imagine, um, after having gone through extensive driver distraction, um, distraction testing. So we're actually, our software is called um, the you know, Retail Interactive Gateway, uh, RIG. Um, that's, so we're all RIG partners for GM, the three of us. And our job is to bring brands to the screen. Our role specifically, because we're more tech-centric tech when it comes to transacting mobile payments and loyalty, we actually focus more on the convenience factor for the drivers and occupants of their vehicles. Um, an example is... Um, order ahead, pay ahead, curbside pickup with a matter of just a few taps. Um, and, and then marrying the vehicle as it pulls up to a grocery store, for example, and, you know, the, the customer service person comes out and puts four bags of groceries in your trunk. Um, that's that's what we focus on with GM. And reading the website a little bit too, to take that a step further. So the order ahead and literally pay ahead and have them come out and, you know, like Walmart's doing that now, right? I, I order my groceries. I go in and I just do the pickup. I never walk into the store. And, and if, if I've read this right, you have done a little bit of integration work around Beacon technology also, correct? Uh, extensive, yes. Years ago, Beacons was going to change the world. Is it doing it and we're just not paying attention? Um, it's doing it very subtly. I think you'll see more and more, uh, candidly, we expect to have the largest Beacon network, privately owned Beacon network between now and end of next year. Um, we, we provide every one of our Direct Connect retailers with at least one, but the larger ones, of course, get multiple beacons depending on what we want those, you know, what we're what we're trying to do within those those locations. Um, but before we go on, can I? I want to. Um, there's something that's kind of fascinating about the dashboard piece that I tend to glaze over, um, and it's and it's an important factor that I think um, will help you know anybody who's listening that to better understand the opportunity. So technically, what happens on the you know the order head pay ahead curbside pickup, that dashboard ends up becoming a surrogate for um, that partner's app. So think about this, you know, in order for you to um, order ahead, pay ahead, or even pay at the pump for, you know, within the vehicle, um, the consumer in this case is required to link an account. It doesn't have to be a tech, you know, technically be an app, um, but it has to be an account ID with this brand. Um, And I'll just throw this out as a matter of example. So, 
um, Kroger, you know, I've got a Kroger Plus card. And if I were to link my Kroger Plus account with the vehicle dashboard, um, all my history, my transaction history, my payment information, uh, my recent orders, my favorite orders, my click list, everything about, you know, everything about my experience with Kroger and the Kroger Plus system is now available to me via the dashboard. So when I actually do an order and pay, it's technically just going down the same exact rail back end um, as if I were using the Kroger Plus app. And I think that's really amazing. Yeah, it's that, it's, it's that wonderful portability, right? Um, it, it, for the general consumer, I go, I buy a new car. Who cares? My data is in the cloud. It's, it's the portability. It's, it's multiple devices where I can access that. You're right, Sam. And now they're extending it in March to take it to multiple vehicles. You know, they, you probably, I'm sure you've heard they've invested heavily in Lyft. Um, they also have, they've launched their Maven, com, you know, competitive to Zipcar. And their whole thing is, um, it doesn't matter which GM or if you go to Avis or any of the other places and rent a car from March on, um, when you get in, into any of the 2018 and newer vehicles, um, you'll have an option of putting in your own personal code, like a, like a debit card pin at the ATM and all the settings that you have for your own vehicle whether it's your favorite XM satellite radio or Pandora, um, anything you have set in your personal vehicle automatically via the cloud and their 4G LTE gets downloaded to that vehicle. So now you've got, it's like a, even, even as far as seat settings. So I think that's pretty remarkable where they're basically, you know, getting out of the vehicle business and getting into the mobility solutions business. It's the Iron Man Jarvis, but you know what I mean? It's your personal assistant, but that's with you. The portability is everywhere. And you did say seat settings, did you not? So it's personalization literally down to that level. So you guys must be, I'm assuming, heavily investing then also into voice with you know, Alexa, Siri, and all the integration that's happening? Yep, very heavily. We are on the brink. We're already in the midst of it. I don't think people realize how much change we're going through that, that technology is driving and just and how we, how we engage, how we interact with every aspect of our lives. And you're, you're touching, you know, easily the most heavily, right? Which is how we pay and, and how we engage with specific brands. So that's a, that's a multiple touch points a day without even really thinking about it. <laughs> I'm just thinking about the past hour I just had. So in, 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 in fact, that's really um, our whole, our whole mantra for this company is to just to do that for our partners. Um, so even though we're kind of the connectivity tissue between the brands, the merchants and the consumers, um, I'll give you an example. I can't. I can't show you the name of the of the company, but I can tell you that it's a mobile operator. And and I'll tell you that I have my mobile operator, and you may be you may be of the same position, Sam. But I don't interact with them. I never go to the website. Um, the only time I even think of my my operator is when I get that monthly email that says um, your bills due. Tap here to pay it. That's it. So I in, in two clicks later, I don't I don't think about them again until um, I get that next email say pay your bill. So that monthly touch point is a big challenge for them. And in our breakfast meeting yesterday, I was meeting with this group and we were talking about, you know, she's like, how do I, how do I get, you know, every other week, if we could just cut this in half. And my response was half. I mean, what good is that? You've got to have a, you've got to have a daily conversation. Your brand has to be present in front of your consumer every single day, even though they're carrying a device that's got your name in the upper left-hand corner. Nobody looks at that. It has to be, you have to provide value. And if you want real loyal, you know, consumers, you've got to give them something. I mean, especially the millennials and, Gen, you know, the Gen Zers, they're expecting that. It's not even, a, I mean, it's more of what, have you, what can you do on top of that for me? So 
what we've um, we're getting back to the beacon conversation. The reason we put beacons in all the merchant locations is because we don't focus on consumer adoption and getting somebody to download yet another app. We basically give our mobile SDK to like a mobile operator. And once you walk into, let's say, Peter Pit across the street from our building, um, within just a 30 to 45 seconds, um, you'll get a push notification that says, you know, that'll have the name of your um, mobile operator, the icon, um, as well as the name that says, welcome to Peter Pit. Remember to tap to pay with the app and use or earn more points. Um, so now you've got a daily touch point with, you know, whether you're getting your hair cut, um, getting your car washed, um, you know, eating breakfast, lunch, or dinner, going to the grocery store, home improvement store. Now suddenly there's this large network of retailers um, that, you know, we're boarding between now and, you know, third quarter of next year the, with the beacons where you're constantly reminded that you can actually use this app, pay with it, and, and you know, earn or, earn or use your points. So that's that to me is really compelling. You know, one of the other things that you said, because a lot of our um, clients for 11FS are banks and the, the mantra that you keep hearing at every conference and every conversation with banks is banks as a marketplace. And I love what you said early on is the automobile as a marketplace, right? That, that market center that you have, the concept of that is brilliant. Here's the thing I like about you, Ron. Um, it makes me smile. Your first two companies. <laughs> let's, let's go way off the chart. You ready? So you had one that was an automotive service that you sold to Carlson Marketing. Real quick, what was that? There was actually one company that we ended up divesting at the exact same time because we had um, the automotive marketing cons- uh, component, and then we had the other, which was um, EDS Healthcare, because it was all because the two are exactly alike. I love it. Healthcare. I keep racking my brain trying to figure out what the heck this was. <laughs> Well, you know, something funny, we had a um, an analyst reviewing, you know, kind of, the, I had an analyst call last week, and uh, he was obviously very junior, and he said, I don't get this, why, how, why, why do you have, you've got really two businesses right now, you've got, you know, the whole, the vehicle thing, and, and, you know, CPM, CPA model, and then you've got this rewards marketplace, and, you know, it's transactional, why do you, why don't you have two separate companies? And the reality is, is that, you know, at the core of all this, of course, is one huge, massive, you know, engine, including AI. And this is the exact same model that we had, you know, 25 years ago with my first company. Oddly enough, at the core of that was um, a very sophisticated neural network, um, you know, this, that, that we hired a bunch of guys from the upper part of Michigan. And um, so the automotive side, and, you know, this is totally going to date me, but you'll get it. Pre-internet and pre, pre-Google, pre-all of that. We basically had um, we, we created a big processing system that um, did two things. One, it, it recognized it had a big voice recognition component, um, and then it also had a topographic character recognition um, for documents that were either faxed to a major, like a big bank of fax servers, or um, sent in via huge boxes that were then put through big Fujitsu scanners at high speed. So our software basically. Inter- interacted in, via phone, um, and I'll give you the, the example that um, that we did, it was, which is true to, true to form. So we we launched the um, Oldsmobile Aurora with General Motors back then. How we helped launch, and which was part of the, why Carlson acquired that piece of the business, what we were doing is um, via telephone, fax, and um, scan, we managed the testing and certification for every GM employee from Oldsmobile that touched that vehicle pre and post launch 
um, including you know parts, sales, counter people, um, service managers, everybody that had anything to do with that vehicle. Um, they were required to be um, thoroughly tested. They had to maintain the equivalent of a, a 3.8 GPA. And if not, they were either moved to another division or they were terminated. So we actually create the, created the entire fax on demand. So they would call in to an 800 number, um, enter in their, you know, through a touchstone or they could speak it, um, enter in their employee code. Our system would scramble uh, 27 questions, put it out, and, and then fax it to their dealership fax machine. They would have to fill, you know, fill in the bubble and hand print certain portions of the of the exam, and then they would fax it back to our server, which would automatically score it, and then and then kick out the results within a matter of just a few seconds. So that was way back in the day, but that's that's the core. Everything about this is fascinating. I love the concept of, of Sionic Mobile. I love the different values that it brings and how it it ties in that the whole concept of technology touching every single part of our lives. But the idea that it becomes invisible. And I love that the payment is invisible, by the way. You, you hardly ever have touched on the payment component of this, which is right. <laughs> You're doing it right. It's not about the payment, people. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's about the experience. It's about everything else that touches this. Completely. Completely. And um, I, I am in complete agreement with you, Sam. Well, that's a good way to end the interview. <laughs> <laughs> well, this has been really fun. And what's, what's the best place for, um, for you know, potential customers and listeners to go and learn more about what you're doing at Cyanoc Mobile? Probably just our website. I mean, we've got a really good digital team here that tweets and, you know, does all that stuff. But um, it, we've got a pretty informative website that, uh, that kind of says it all. I absolutely love it. Ron, thanks so much for taking the time. I appreciate it. Thank you. I enjoyed it, Sam. The Financial Times guides you through complex issues. In divisive times, don't settle for black and white. When you need the full perspective, turn to FT.com. Become a subscriber today. Search for FT subscription. Fintech innovation is changing the way we bank. And the speed we deploy new customer experiences is vital. Onboarding the right fintech partners can take months. Do you have time to lose? Introducing the Innovation Acceleration Platform from Temenos. Test fintech solutions at speed with real data straight from the core banking system. With a yearly subscription, you can begin testing the same day and create new customer experiences in no time. For more details, visit marketplace.temenos.com. Next up, I spoke to Michael Crawford from Fifth Third. All right, so I'm with Michael Crawford from Fifth Third Bank. Michael, thanks for taking the time. For one, you're in Cincinnati right now? I am. Uh, thanks, Sam. It's a pleasure to be here. And for those listeners that want to know, there's a foosball tournament going on right behind him because Fifth Third <laughs> is that cool, right? Yeah. That, that'll be the yells we hear. You can't be innovative without a foosball table. Yeah, everyone else has ping pong. In Cincinnati, foosball, baby. Foosball. Oh, cornhole and foosball. Oh, okay, I'm going to have to explain cornhole to a lot of people. <laughs> I'll have a link, okay? We'll, we'll, in Europe, they're like, what the hell are they talking about? All right. Fifth Third actually has launched a, a student loan app called Momentum. And one of the very first things that struck me around this is Fifth Third doesn't issue student loans. Yeah, it's, uh, it was something that um, it seems counterintuitive for a, a regional bank um, in the U.S. to be uh, launching what's the equivalent of a fintech app out there. But we did a bunch of research, and we heard loud and clear from 
folks within our the areas that we serve um, and folks across the U.S. and around the world that this is a big problem um, to the tune of $1.4 trillion here in the U.S. And the fact that uh, on average, every college graduate is leaving um, university with $37,700 of student loan debt uh, and paying that off over 20 years. And that's new, right, Michael? I mean, I've, I've seen the charts. If I remember right, I think the Fed had the report, the second largest debt area for Americans is student loans, mortgage first, then student loans. Yeah, it is. The cost of education is significantly outpacing inflation. Right. And you kind of have this perfect storm with this generation. So the early part of the generation, um, their parents were affected by the dot-com bubble. And then the housing crisis for the middle part of the generation and forgetting the, the cost kind of skyrocketing, the family's ability to help these students pay for a four-year degree uh, was was cut significantly during those time periods. So, you know, these parents went from having equity in their homes or having cash in their bank accounts to being unemployed, home or homes underwater. It was this moment where even those students that didn't have the opportunity to go to college graduated with debt and no job. Underemployment, unemployment was higher uh, for this generation at that point in time than any other that preceded it. So you have higher costs, you have lower ability to pay, and then you have a degree that feels less worthwhile uh, when you exit university. It's uh, it's something that you know clearly adds up to being a, a large problem and you know, we're committed to building strong communities, and it doesn't feel like we can build a strong community without helping uh, people tackle this. So for our, our audience on, on Fintech Insider, about 42% of our audience is based in the U.S. Every single person listening to this is nodding. And every single person in Europe is going, what in the heck <laughs> is going on there? But you just you just gave a great synopsis of the state of the U.S. right now. You, you know, I mean, this this one little story. It really does re- reflect kind of how most people are are thinking and feeling right now. Yeah, and it's uh, it's emotional. I mean, yeah. um, money is is primarily emotional, and you know, financial health affects physical health. Physical health affects financial health, and you know, you want mental health in there with it all. Um, and it it becomes this cauldron. You know, Sam, you mentioned our path to to fifth third momentum, which hopefully is the first of many things that we start to put out there. But we started a couple years ago and we sat down in a couple cities in the US and we talked to customers and we said, what's, you know, what's keeping you up at night? Um, What problems are you facing? They didn't know we were a bank in front of them. We didn't, they didn't even know that it was financial services, but money was the core of that conversation. And there was just something different. Um, We heard that these consumers um, had a lot of student loan debt. They felt weight on their shoulders. They felt lumps in their throats. Um, they don't like even owing $5, which is why services like Venmo and Zelle and PayPal have become so prominent is that that triggers a level of anxiety for them. Um, so the notion that they owe $40,000 uh, feels unwieldy, especially something that's with them um, for that period of time. We, uh, I remember sitting in Louisville, Kentucky, of all places, and having this 20 late 20s male in front of me and he said that you know he's not even dating because he feels so ashamed of the amount of debt that he's in and we turned and we heard uh from somebody that was in their early 30s and saying yeah we're we're putting off buying a house we're putting off having kids because 
you know, our student loan debt is just to the point where we can't save for those things. We can't afford those things. Uh, there's a great uh, report that came out uh, about a week or two ago that said, uh, on average, millennials are delaying home purchases seven years longer than other generations post-graduation um, because of the inability to save for that down payment or um, because of the, the lack of creditworthiness from having this eat up a part of their their income that other generations haven't had to face. So, you know, we went from hearing those things to studying what was happening on the coast of the U.S. because the trends, the way that it seems to work from a consumer perspective is trends start at the coast of the U.S. and they work their way into the heartland. So maybe a, a bank that um, is sitting in, in Ohio, there's a solution out there that we just, from a startup that we haven't figured out yet, um, we didn't hear anything. And we went and we talked to people around the world. Um, so we wanted to go to places that had a lot of immigration to the U.S. from a cultural perspective, that they had um, similar uh, trends, so higher under unemployment with millennials and a heavy share of that population being of that generation. So we talked to consumers and we asked them to do um, some day in the lives for us in Spain and Mexico and Southeast Asia and to see maybe there's some reverse innovation here where they've figured it out and we can kind of borrow from that. But we couldn't find anything and we heard the same themes emanating, the same anger about um, having a good degree and having a high potential, but not having uh, a feeling of stability. And thankfully the gig economy has stood up to help some of that, but it, it isn't enough. Yeah. It's a uh, bandaid, right? I mean, it, it's, it helps get some relief, but I'm, I'm reading, I mean, I'm reading right now, let's to put this in perspective. Cause I know I like that you went and talked to look Spain where the unemployment rate is, I don't know, it's in the 40%, I think for millennials, it's, it was ridiculous. Hopefully it's coming down, but here from the U.S., from a U.S. perspective, and these are numbers I actually saw from a press release um, around this product, 44 million student loan borrowers in the U.S. right now, collectively over $1.4 trillion. Oh, my God. That's a lot of money. Average student holds about 28000 in debt. And I think we were talking about this before. The number two debt category behind mortgages in the U.S. is student loans, ahead of car loans, ahead of credit card loans. It's not solely limited to millennials. So right. yeah. about one out of every three millennials has a student loan debt. And to kind of put a common definition out there, we tend to use people that are born around 1980 to about the late 90s. The generation that preceded those, the Gen Xers, those that are kind of in their late 30s and in their 40s, one out of every four of them have student loan debt still. So it, it's something that has a big network effect here. And um, while we're really focused on solving it in, in a millennial way. And that's why there's, uh, you know, Jay-Z lyrics and we talk about avocado toast in the app. Um, <laughs> it is a problem that, that a lot of people are facing. You know, so here's what's interesting. Um, and, and we've talked before, you've been at the bank about six or seven years. And when you look at a product like this, and, and I've worked where I've, or I've owned products and you put a business case together and you go before the executives and you say, all right, here's the app we want to build. I want to build an app helping around student loan payments. And I know we don't actually offer student loans. And normally I think that's when the conversation stops. <laughs> so how did, <laughs> what were y'all drinking at that date? I mean, how did, how did that actually go through? What, who were some of the drivers behind that to say yes and green light this project? 
Yeah, so we have um, we had great executive support for uh, Fifth Third Momentum and for a, a renewed focus on millennials. Uh, you'll see a lot of the interviews with our CEO Greg Carmichael talking about the importance of, of serving the needs of millennials and how important, from a population perspective, they are in in really all urban and rural areas we serve. There are 80 million people here in the U.S. Um, that are millennials. And they are the sole source of household formation over the next 20 years. Um, Gen Xers, uh, sorry to say, um, you're, you're subject to decline for natural cause. Um, you're talking bad about me right now. Yeah, boomers, um, sorry, the same, same tends to hold true. So for a bank that relies on new relationship growth, um, it's really important to to focus on the segment of the population that is growing. So our head of retail, um, our executive in charge of our consumer bank, and our executive that were, was in charge of our um, payments company, and our uh, chief strategy officer were all aligned in terms of the need to really sponsor the research. Now, to your point, where I've seen a lot of this uh, go south is we do, we do the research and then we come up with an idea and it's, it's new to the world, right? Or it's new to the bank. So you have no way to kind of benchmark how is this going to be successful? Yeah, how, I mean, how do you the, know? The usual question is, right, so let me see the revenue, right? Let, let yes, me, yeah. you know, what is uh, Chase doing um, and how are they making money? Yeah. Um, you know, every company kind of goes through that. What we were able to do is through some quantitative analysis start to identify um, and ask consumers those leading questions. Would you um, be more inclined to bank with a company that offered this? Would you be willing to switch um, switch banks in order to use this product or service? Would you be more loyal to a company? So some of those leading indicators uh, or drivers of profitability. But at the end of the day, you have an educated guess. And part of where the bank, where Fifth Third is moving to, is using, we talked about kind of the human-centered design methodology uh, of the app, but the agile development. So for Fifth Third Momentum, we are not at our full product vision. Um, there's several iterations that we have to go, and there's things we know that aren't perfect. But we wanted to build out our minimum viable product in a way that, um, to borrow some of the the innovators' uh, language from Clayton Christensen, he's a, it's a skateboard. Um, we built enough that it'll attract early adopters that they will provide us feedback and they won't um, all leave in mass. So something that can get us directionally there. So we asked for uh, more of like, if you think about it from a, a venture perspective, the seed round allowed us to get our research done. Um, this is kind of the angel round uh, of funding to build out um, what we had, which was a proof of concept into something where we can see the, the market traction uh, there. And if the market traction is strong, great. We've gotten to market faster than if we had built out the full thing. If the market traction wasn't strong, then we haven't spent you know, the full uh, capacity of the organization or the budget in doing so. We're trying to get to market faster and to enable more learnings. And we used uh, the weighted shortest job methodology where we equally rank the user value, the business value, and the complexity uh, in terms of building it. And we allocated a certain amount of time and said, we're going to build it in this amount of time. So keep going down your list 
of priorities until you get to that MVP. Um, and that really, uh, it's different for us. Um, it's uncomfortable, but we definitely have gotten a, a, a skateboard out there, which users are interacting heavily with, and we're really, really pleased at the results so far. So let's talk a little bit about the skateboard then. Okay. So talk me through the product as, as a parent of four kids, right? To, to college age, walk me through this product. How does it work? What does it do for me? So fit their momentum. You would download it in the iTunes or the Google Play Store, and you would sign in with your fifth or bank credentials, just like you do in internet banking or you do mobile banking. Um, and then it's three easy steps. You select your loan servicer. We've got about 40 across the U.S. that represent over 90% of all student loans uh-huh. outstanding. You select uh, your student loan servicer. You tell us your account number. So it's very similar to setting up your bill pay. Uh, within your bank relationship. In certain cases, we ask you for one or two more pieces of information, and then you tell us which of your fifth, third card, your debit cards, you'd like it to round up from. And then we give you two options. So this is a little bit different. Um, for people that are a little unsure about kind of um, their budget or they're unsure about the impact, we let you round up to the next dollar. So that $4.50 latte at Starbucks rounds up to $5.50, kind of gets pulled out or you can round up $1 per transaction. So that $4.50 latte, we tack a dollar onto that and pull that out as well. And that's it. Um, it's a very, very easy process. It's it, like, it's like digit for savings, but except you're attacking a debt. It is. Um, and then when, when you get in, um, the app has a completely different tone and feel than what you, you would expect. Like I mentioned before, there's badges and gamification where you know if you hit $99 of roundups then we you know you get a badge and it's 99 you've got 99 problems and a roundup ain't one so it's like tongue-in-cheek humor that's designed to um, just make you chuckle and make you smile Um, we realize banks tend to only communicate with customers when when they've done something wrong or when we need information from them we we kind of over indexed in terms of positivity and encouragement. So, you know, our push alerts, there's some security ones, of course, that's really, really important to solve and make sure that customer feels safe. Um, but there's also push alerts that encourage them and say, we're proud of you. And, you know, guess how much you saved this month. And we give them that figure. So no, I love, uh, I love this concept because it's, it is like acorns or digit, right? Where we're, you don't think about the savings. Right. But again, in this case, you're tackling a major problem, which is pay off flipping debt. Right. Right. It's a it's a huge problem. Um, and, and there's no other bank out there that we know of that's helping people pay down debt faster. Banks make money through originating debt, through servicing debt and through collecting interest on the debt. Um, in our case, we're helping you pay it down fast. Um, the average momentum user will take three to five years off of their repayment period, uh, and they'll save uh, about 10% through avoiding interest that would have otherwise accrued had they not been using the product. So it makes a big difference. You'd think, you know, I swipe my debit card 20, 25 times a a month, right? That doesn't, does 25 bucks a month really do anything? Um, That's how I felt, uh, you know, when I first looked at it. And then you start to put it into the calculators and you do the math and like, wow, like you're talking about the difference between me paying off my student loan in my 40s versus me paying off my student loan in my, my 30s. Like 
Let's reverse. It's reverse dollar cost averaging is fantastic. <laughs> and it, yeah, it's a there's a bunch of different ways you can take this. I'm curious. Do you do anything? Because you talked about the feedback. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. The users are the ones that named the product Momentum. That's correct. Yeah, users helped us um, when we got the research. We um, we co-created and we ideated alongside customers, uh, alongside users um, and millennials. Our core team. So usually a, a project team at a big company is is like your top executives and you get in rooms. Um, we created a hybrid team of millennials and um, executives because we thought it was critical for folks that were in, in that market um, and in those mindsets to be along for that ride. And the amount of empathy you can generate um, was substantial through doing that. When you talked about uh, the, the naming and the feedback, all of that was done through conversations with consumers. So we had a couple um, that we called down and then we asked them for their feedback in terms of how those um, made them feel, what attributes they associated with those names and things like that. And momentum was the the clear, clear above and uh, beyond winner in terms of what concept we should build out first. And then um, if their momentum was the uh, by far and away the, the best name um, out of that. You have a call of action just in the actual name of the app, which which I love. So here's here's what will be interesting. I'll put something on my calendar. Let's get to back together in a year, and l- let's see how this is going. I'd be really curious to see the growth. I personally love it. I love the concept of it, um, and it it becomes an interesting use case for you as you start developing other apps, right? Um, at Fifth Third and. And the lessons learned from that. Uh, that, that, that ought to be really interesting. One of these days we need to sit down and just talk about that. Uh, one last thing I'd recommend. It, this actually is something I'd love to see universities actually get behind, too. <laughs> Everything about this is a fantastic product. So many yeah, different ways you could I'll take it. I'll tell you a funny story about that, Sam. No, go um, ahead. I love funny so stories. You're, funny you're right on. Last night, we uh, so Fifth Air Bank hosts a college prep night in one of, our, one of the cities in Ohio here named Dayton. And there were 60 universities present. And then students can kind of walk through the concourses and um, meet with the universities. And Fifth Third had a kind of a section on, you know, how do you pay for college? So all these colleges are advertising their tuition costs and things. How do you actually pay for that? Um, so we talked a little bit about momentum and we had these, uh, these brochures out there. And there's one entrepreneurial student that I thought was amazing. So this guy... He, he hears the pitch and he's thinking about paying for college. It's clear that he's doing it on his own without any help. And he asked me for six, six flyers. And I kind of looked at him. And I said, six flyers. Um, and he said, yeah. He said, I'm going to write my student loan account number on the top of all of them. And I'm handing them out at my family reunion. Genius. So my aunt, my uncle, my grandparents, I want them all to sign up because you start to think about that. Not any one of them could probably pay for the the young man's college, but all of them could probably think about contributing 25 bucks a month or 20 bucks a month or $15 a month through roundups. And when you start to think about if that young man got a a loan for $5,000 at 6% interest, you know, he's looking at about 30 bucks of interest per month while he's in school. Two of his relatives can cover that. And then he ends school without having a, accumulated any interest have you hired him yet hey I, <laughs> you should he's not far from that he's really entrepreneurial and it shows not only that you know fifth third momentum is great fit for people going through student loans but it also 
can be a tool that family can use to chip in towards that big debt. Um, Michael, where's the best place to go and learn about the app? Yeah, thanks for that question. Um, www.53thenumbers53.com slash momentum um, is our landing page. There's a video there that you can see um, the great designs. We collaborated with one of the top um, design firms in the country out of Chicago to build the app um, using a lot of the recent UX trends. So we're really proud of um, the colors, the tone, the flow, the ease of use. Um, we're really, uh, we're starting to get some, some good install numbers, especially given the app hasn't been out even a month yet, but, um, feel free. It's in the iTunes and the Google play store search for fifth, third momentum, uh, spelled out. And, uh, we'd love to, to get feedback from folks on the, the phone. Feel free to, to reach out. I really appreciate the time and it'll be interesting to, uh, to look at this when I see you out in money 2020. Yeah, and if you guys are more than if you're interested in trying out the app, you're more than welcome to use my student loan account number. <laughs> <laughs> you stole the idea from a college kid. I'm sorry. Yeah. You, you was hey. a nice try. It's, uh, shameless, but you know I'm all about getting yeah. users. There you go. <laughs> nice. All right, Michael. Thanks. Thanks to both of our guests today. And as always, if you want to get in touch, you can find us on Twitter at fintech insiders, or on Facebook, or even on our fintech insiders page. If you'd like what you heard this week, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and please leave us a review on iTunes. We really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.